0: Mana, 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 This is Social Disgusting. Welcome to Social Disgusting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I am Brandon, aka Brandon. Hope you're well. My guest is an improviser, an actor, and a writer who has been so funny on so many things, including Best Friends Forever and Playing House, both of which she co-created with Jessica St. Clair, Review, Lady Dynamite, Veep, so many things, as well as the utterly delightful podcast Womp It Up. Please welcome Lennon Parham. Welcome.
1: Hey, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Hey. Your accent's making me feel like at home, so I... I'll probably get more and more southern as this podcast goes on. I hope that's okay with everything. Okay, perfect, <laughs> perfect.
0: Do I have this is a self? Do I have a s- strong accent? Because I've not heard that a lot, admittedly. N-
1: it's gentle, but if gentle. I but I can tell that you're from the south, and There's I know a lilt. it's not. Yeah, and I know it's not like East Coast South.
0: That's fair. That's fair. I'm always curious if it comes out because I, I don't. I don't hear anything, but of mm-hmm. course, then I, I wouldn't
1: yeah it comes out for me on certain words like or when I get angry or drunk or tired, <laughs> yeah, you know, or if I talk to my mama on the phone <laughs> or something
0: like it's in there, maybe not you know on the surface as much, but yeah there are there are flare- ups for sure
1: for sure good <laughs> good the good kind of flare up.
0: <laughs> oh no, I'll take it for sure. I was just always curious <laughs> um I guess the the very fun, easy to ask, difficult to answer question, how are you?
1: You know, today, um, today I'm okay. Uh, I'm talking to you, uh, which is joyful for me and I'm trying to find like good. little moments of joy yeah. in each day. Uh, I don't know. It feels like we probably got another couple months of the darkness and then, but I can see the light up peeking. Yeah. So that feels good to me. I have felt like, I don't know like heavy if that makes sense I felt like not like not creative or not creating or not like I have I don't have access to that like deep reserve of of joy and weirdness that I usually have access to yeah so I'm looking forward to, to diving back into that soon um but yeah I have a family you know so far so good we're healthy we're safe I have a job or I have had jobs (laughs) that allow me to to, you know, not have to go back out right now or or if I do go back out, I just it's very well protected, like crazy testing and all that stuff. So, you know, I feel very lucky and it's hard to complain. But of course, that's all I want to (laughs) do.
0: Yeah, Yeah, you know, I know you mean like there's that thing of like, uh, yeah, you know, the duality of i could have it so much worse so i understand that you know so it's difficult to complain but at the same time it's like to be fair to yourself too mm-hmm. your problems are still your problems so long as i guess you have some relative perspective as to how bad or good those are you know comparatively
1: yeah and i think the my complaints mostly are like on a larger scale like i have a hard time complaining about like oh i have to do laundry i've, yeah. I've i haven't like those first 3 months had not been that tired since I had a newborn baby. Like it was, oh, wow. it was intense, you know, like just everything shut down and we were just locked in and couldn't get toilet paper. And it, it was terrifying, you know, it was like scary, yeah. but we were safe. And now I feel like the, my, the things I'd like to complain about are like on a bigger scale, like, you know, the ending of democracy or, <laughs> That's, yeah, uh, reasonable. you know, the, the communal grief that we're all that we all are experiencing in the trauma of, of so much loss and. Um. Yeah.
0: It's not like, you know, you ask for no mayo on your sandwich and you got it. These are things of actual. Correct. You know, import of, uh, oh yeah, the actual possible apocalypse. That's a fair fear. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I know what you mean though. I, and I'm not, obviously I, I certainly don't know about what it is to the exhaustion of being pregnant or having a child by any stretch, anything close to that. But, I do know to your point, though, in those first like handful of months, it was so this so unfathomable and this kind of shock and numbing agent that mm. I just felt tired and exhausted constantly for months.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think all the things that I mean, most of the things that people use as like to help them like, uh, you know, like I quiet for me quiet time Mm -hmm. like i didn't have any of that anymore yeah so anybody that is like an introvert or has a part of an introvert in them was like so flooded because Mm. it was just like zoom after zoom and like you can't leave your house so if you if there's anybody in your house you're with them all the time and you don't have like commutes to like listen to a podcast or any of that stuff and you're not supposed to go anywhere anyway because it's not safe you know
0: yeah I hadn't thought about like that of kind of that redefining of what are, what coping mechanisms were Mm. and are possible in all this.
1: Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't safe to go for a jog at first, like we thought, you know, or like cook a meal because your groceries might have it, you know?
0: Well, and and also though, like uh, the thought at the time of, oh, this is a five week thing. We'll just stop everything and then we'll go back to all of the things. Right. And which sounds... Feels so quaint now, and almost like adorable. <laughs> like we're you know, we like, cute,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, like oh, were we ever so young and <laughs> ten months ago? But that was a real thing. We had no idea, you know. Like no. a, your, you know, we had we thought that there were, the light at the end of the tunnel was not only a light, but bright as hell. Even now, though, it does feel it feels a lot more hopeful with, in that regard of the you know some sense of relative normalcy, whatever mm. that constitutes. Mm-hmm. is far closer than it's ever been. And that's a nice feeling. That's I just don't true. know how long closer it is. It's it, but it feels closer and that's a nice thing to hold on to, I think.
1: Yeah, but it's also like, well what is that? Like what yeah. will be the new normal and what will we all still be fearful of? What will we hold on to? Like what will feel safe and unsafe given that we were just told so many of these things that we do and love doing are unsafe, you know?
0: Yeah. So
1: yeah. I wonder, you know, we, I mean, I think we are forever changed. Hopefully there are pieces of that, that in some ways made us better, you know, or yeah, helped us remember certain things about what's important, but inside of so much loss and grief, it's really hard to like, be like, but the silver linings, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, no, I mean, <laughs> no.
0: Yeah. That's another thing too, or. I do innately, as somebody who's just kind of innately an optimist, want to think of the silver linings like that. And there are some, but I but there's also an absolute guilt that comes with that knowing the unfathomable amount of loss that people have had. It's like mm-hmm. you know, it as if it's minimizing or belittling that on some level, which is not the intention or or, or meant to be that on any level, but it's also though like I do think and I I thought this like early on and I still believe it. That it, it has helped and will help to provide some perspective, but also like a priority shift mm-hmm. to allow for a realization of what really is important to you. Mm-hmm. Since everybody had to or should have mm-hmm. had relative, like, day to day things taken away from them for the most part.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's just me bright again, but it's, uh, it, you know, it's all just so much. It's all so much. Yeah. All of this. Yeah,
1: I. Yeah, I was gonna say something and then I totally zoned out. Um, which is what happens right now. Uh, I do
0: that a lot. I, I, I yeah, my mashed potato brains. <laughs> I feel like it's the elasticity of my brain is is not very taut these I, days.
1: The thing, the thing that strikes me is that, like. So as a television creator or as a creator of content in general, like Mm -hmm. I, I generally like I've kind of come up saying like, you know, you do you like it. Your voice is unique, but if you just tell your own authentic story, people will connect to it, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And
1: it feels very singular. And that's kind of like as television and streaming has developed, like it's very fractured like there's something for everybody right like you could not everybody's gonna love you know Emily and Paris but some of those people will also like Bridge you know Bridgerton and some of those people like call my agent like there's a little bit of something for everyone and we're so on our own tip each generation has like even their own apps that they're communicating with but this is like the first thing that's happened in a long time that is like like a deeply communal experience like and obviously Absolutely. we're all like i have family still in alabama and some in georgia and their experience of it has been very different than mine and my parents who moved here to los angeles to be closer to the grandkids like we're all having very different experiences but we have been affected by it as well on a deep level and i think that's maybe there's something there that's very that will be good eventually, mm-hmm. that we'll all like the, I mean, even the benefit of like the medical, the world medical community working together so clearly, and also that liaison between like the medical community, talking to people that don't speak medicine. So like, the Instagram woman that I follow Jessica Malati Rivera, who's an epidemiologist and an emerging virologist, right? She's translating what's happening so that people on Instagram can go home and say to their parents, like, this is why you have to take this vaccine, you know,
0: which I appreciate so much.
1: Yeah, it's like a layman's translation, basically. And that I don't think that was happening before. Right? I mean, there wasn't a lot of connection there. And it's so refreshing to me. And so reassuring to hear from specifically you know, like a virologist who has two small children, I'm like, well, is she going to parks? Is she wiping down her groceries? You know, like, so yeah. maybe there will be something that comes out of this about about like a larger connectivity and that we're all responsible for each other.
0: I think about that a lot. The fact that, yeah, that, that commonality factor, that this is truly quite literally a universal experience, this, this situation. Mm-hmm. As awful as that is to think about just the fact that while the entire world is consumed by this thing, but it also though is, it's calming in its own way just simply because, oh, this isn't unique to me, this is everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've also spoken to some people who had parents that potentially were already homebound or yeah. or even friends who have been through a cancer diagnosis and they felt like so alone. And it's almost like a relief that everybody else on the whole face of the earth Is having to deal this and feel, deal with this and feel this, you know?
0: Yeah, something could be said for what it—the comfort of not feeling like you're alone.
1: Right, even though you're, a lot of people are very, very alone right now.
0: Yes, yes, but you know, for some people, it does feel like there's this situational empathy that they have to experience it or know people that experience something for it to kick in yeah and for everybody to experience this on some level Mm -hmm. for that empathy to kick in can also go a long way too just putting yourself in other people's shoes yeah and also like god you know like man we're feeling our mortality universally more than ever yeah and that can also prioritize things too you know
1: Well, and also everybody was at home, like watching their TVs or their small screens. So, you know, when the Black Lives Matter stuff started happening this summer, there was nowhere to look away, like, and we were all facing it. And also a bunch of people didn't have jobs and could be active and put their foot down and say, this is not acceptable, or we are allies, or we stand with them. So I think there are things that have happened this past year during this time that would never have happened if we were just in our normal lives
0: 100 percent. yeah it's when being able to just kind of do whatever you want to do is taken away i think a lot of people i mean myself included you have, sometimes you have to having to deal with things you ordinarily could distract yourself from mm-hmm. it, as much as you know like life is hard and that stuff is not those are not easy conversations to have with yourself sometimes it's necessary i th- i think at least for me that you need to do those things
1: mm-hmm. well how was it where you were like was it were you guys slow to close and did they ever close and did were people wearing masks i mean little rock is a little more cosmopolitan maybe than some of the rural parts of the state but how did it feel to you we
0: didn't ever close it was more of the these are the guidelines and it's kind of like the cities are it's up to them to enforce them and then they never did but Mm -hmm. they did some like some spacing stuff and some limitations with regard to how many people can be in a place and one thing that's come out of that has been just a lot more to go and curbside for a ton of places that just hadn't done that before yeah so that's helped them uh mitigate both you know people being exposed to these uh, this awful thing while also supplementing their income to where mm-hmm. they can't have as many people in so that's that's been good and it's been a lot easier you know for me and plenty of others to support local businesses which is something i'm very cognizant of and always want to do. Mm -hmm. In terms of masks, I don't know if it's been dramatically more or less than any other place, but you just have all these different contingencies. Contingencies? No. Contingencies.
1: Contingencies.
0: There we go. Thank you. (laughs) Of people refusing to wear masks. Some of them wear them. Some people do. The only bright spot for us is is that our population density is far less than so many other places. So right. right. That has aided that quite a bit. right.
1: And do you live, are you, do you live alone or do you live, you have a roommate? What is your situation?
0: I have a house and it's my cat and
1: I. Perfect. Yeah. Do you have an outdoor space that you can be in?
0: The one bright spot about being the quote unquote natural state is that we have a lot of parks and places we can be and I have Mm -hmm. a little deck in the back so I can pop out if I need to. And, you know, my, my parents are like 10 minutes away. Yeah. And they're not, they've been pretty good about not doing anything unnecessarily.
1: That's good. How
0: is it? I know it's I know California and L.A. How yeah. is it where you are?
1: Well, I'm so I'm like in a little kind of hipster neighborhood in L.A. near Pasadena, like on the northeast side. And um, we've had a similar thing. Like, I think our neighborhood was like the most masked up. <laughs> like they did oh, like good. L.A. Yeah. Some like L.A. magazine or somebody did like the most masked up cities. And we were like number one. And I was like, hell yeah, you know, (laughs) but I think it's kind of inescapable right now. And it feels a little scary, but we're still doing the same like curbside and to go a lot from restaurants that we would normally may or may not be going in person with a a four-year-old. But um, uh, just trying to support the same places and everybody's masked up for the most part outside when we go, but it does feel like you know, don't go anywhere. That's what it feels like. Don't go to stores if you don't have to, if you can afford to, have it delivered. You know, my kids, they closed the park. The parks were closed for like the first six months or something insane. And Mm -hmm. so our backyard became like our haven. And then they closed them again. And then like two days later opened them again because the parents were like, you better be fucking kidding me. You know, like, (laughs) no (laughs) Yeah. Um, and my kids have been, re- they're just like so resilient and so into like, I mean, I had a couple conversations with them early on about, about why we do it and what's the importance and you know, that we're doing it cause we love our, you know, our grandparents or whatever yeah. and we're protecting them. But the parks, uh, you know, for them have been like a real, a real save, savior, if you will. Yeah. But we're all, I mean, my husband uh, works in education, and he normally would be traveling all over the state to do professional development with school leaders and schools and, t- and administrators and teachers. And obviously that's not happening. So it's all on Zoom. He had like eight Zoom meetings one day, like oh, wow. before Christmas, and we were like, that's too many Zooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's a lot. But yeah, I mean, we're not, my parents live nearby. We see them maybe once a week and we do it in the backyard with masks on just to be like very, very safe because my dad is uh, immunocompromised because he had a kidney transplant uh, when I was pregnant with my daughter. So that was like eight years ago. And yeah, we're just, I mean, honestly, just been taking it, keeping it really close to home, not taking any risks. And it feels like most people that I know are doing the same.
0: Yeah, same here. Absolutely. I would much rather be overly cautious than certainly not cautious enough.
1: Yeah. It does feel like senioritis right now though. Like it's like, well, maybe I could do this one thing <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, it's risky. It's it's risky cuz right now this this is like crazy surge in LA and they don't really know how to explain it except that it's like high density like a popul- lot a of, lot of people in one Tiny spot, you know. Yeah. Um. A lot of essential workers, and then also one thing I didn't think about was that the insane wildfire season that we had last year, which apparently would like the repetition of like bad air quality and those fires and the smoke, like it would affect your immune system and also your ability to fight off a respiratory disease.
0: Oh, I never thought about that. And I was like, oh
1: my god, mind blown! Like, yeah. So. Another reason to stay inside, I guess.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, that is something that I just keep going back to in my head is if you get COVID while doing as much as you can to prevent from getting COVID, not that there's any making that better mentally just to have it, period, but Mm. it's that at least you you can say you tried. Yeah. Because at a certain point, you can only do so much. But that that phrase, you know, COVID fatigue, Mm -hmm. that's a very real thing. I completely get it. But- it's just in my head. I'm like, let me just keep holding out. Like the longer I wait on my end, it's all I can really do is to hopefully the even if it's like 0.001 percent better, hopefully the faster this will have a relative resolution and we can go back to some whatever normalcy now is.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also think it's kind of my like people are having a really hard time, especially in this part of like in this culture. Believing that what they do has could potentially have a negative effect on anybody else or given a shit about it. Like, yeah. like, but I don't understand me doing this thing and hanging with my friends, you know, without masks, like to watch a game. Like, what's the problem? You know, like it yeah. just, it's a, it's such a myopic time right now. And everybody's so, it's like a self obsessed, you know moment is that has it always been like that it might have always been like that but i feel like right now specifically since we all have our own little universes in our hands at all time you know
0: yeah well it's like you know to it's like for somebody to to go out not wear a mask do things with their friends because they just want to it's like you have to have video footage to prove that they caused this person to have covid to then show to them to be like, see? But then even there then they could be like, Yeah, that's a deep fake. Yeah. And that didn't really happen. I didn't cause anybody to have COVID, so Mm -hmm. and they just go about their merry way. Like, you know, what is provable isn't necessarily provable if they don't give a shit.
1: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Or it's like a so what, you know?
0: Yeah, it's like, oh they'll they'll be fine. And, you know, there's just yeah, it does feel like there's this empathy chasm. To your point, like I don't know whether that's has this always been that thing—is it more exacerbated now, or is it just that I'm aware of it and it's infuriating me? I do not know.
1: I don't know. I mean, I feel like at least there was—I I mean, I think this is this is probably like I'm thinking about JFK, like, ask not what your country can do for you, but like there there was like a patriotism or something. There was something like a. Like during like during the war times when, like, yeah. you know, women went and, like, built airplanes while men were fighting overseas, you know. But also inside of that, there was obviously, like, still systemic racism and yeah. all this other stuff and, like, forgotten peoples. So, uh, you know, it's complicated. <laughs> That's
0: fair. Yeah. A part of me does wonder, too, if it's maybe that with the Internet, maybe we just know too much. Mm-hmm. Because I do think that on a certain level, within reason, you know, ignorance is bliss. And now we have, to some degree, as much information or knowledge as we want to. And, you know, and it's easy to kind of get caught up in that that feedback loop. And to, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like the, the idea of getting like angry about something that if the more you have that, the more there's an addiction level, maybe, or just like this common or like this is just this normalcy. And you just want to seek that out, and you can find as much of that as you want to now, and that's really it's that's really tough, especially when we maybe have a little bit more time on our hands and all this.
1: Right, like if you have an inkling that somebody's not like up to snuff or not telling the truth, that you yeah. could probably find something somewhere to support your batshit theory. Hundred percent. Yeah, but there's yeah. also the there's platforms for that too. So it used to be those conversations. You know, we're, we're happening in public, and somebody'd be like, Jimmy, shut up. You're an idiot, you know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It's like, well, because there would be like one idiot, like in your group, right? But now, yeah. like, this is a This is not going in a good direction. (laughs) But now that that idiot Jimmy can find another Jimmy in another town. I mean, it's kind of like when you first start doing comedy and you like come out of your improv group, the funniest person, and then you go to UCB or wherever, you know, whatever, Second City, and you're like one of many very (laughs) funny people. And you're like, oh, shit, I thought I was the funny one. But like now... So so they've been able to find each other. You yeah, know? like
0: confirmation bias is an easy thing to find on the Internet. You know, like, you know, just you can confirm anything you want is, and, mm-hmm, and very mm-hmm. easily just search for that confirmation. You know, that's a dangerous thing for anyone,
1: especially if you feel like you're getting screwed over somehow. You Absolutely. Know? Or you Absolutely. haven't or like you're do something, you know, that yeah. you're not that you never got the paycheck in the mail, you know.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. This is a completely unrelated thing to this, but I was curious. Yes, sir. About a month ago, December eighth, specifically, you filmed Minx, a pilot for HBO Max. Yeah. What was that experience like amidst all of this?
1: Uh, it was weird. It was weird as hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the I was happy to have a job, to be honest, to have yeah. something to distract me, and um, the script was hilarious and i was like really intrigued it's also uh it's very timely and very funny and it was like a departure for me it felt like and also a period piece like set in the early 70s yes please so (laughs) yeah and then as they started announcing the cast like jake johnson you know so many great people so many great people in it and really funny people Uh, my friend oscar uh, is one of the bottom dollar productions <laughs> Uh, <laughs> folks anyway so yeah I mean leading up to it we had like hair and makeup test and then we did a photo shoot uh, and we did a table read on zoom but it was all kind of I mean like my aud- the audition process to get it was totally different than normal because it's a pilot so in that case you're normally auditioning in person with a casting director and then your tape gets sent and then you have to audition again to test and you have to audition for the studio in this case Lionsgate, and you have to then if you p- make it past that this is all live and they're the other like four ladies that are up for your same part are there in the room with you like
0: and they can like overhear you doing it yeah
1: i mean you go in one at a time but then you go away and you get a phone call like four hours later from your agent like you made it to the next round and then you go back <laughs> in and audition again sometimes with the same girls sometimes they brought in new girls for the network, which in this case is HBO Max. So like this audition process, I put myself on tape. My husband recorded the other part. It was in the living room. We had just finally like gone away for like, we went to to a beach, like rented an Airbnb at the beach in like September or something. And we got back and I had to put myself on tape like before the kids got back from the park and, So we were rushed, you know, and then I sent it off and I'm like, that's pretty funny. Um, (laughs) I felt pretty good about it. And then like, I don't know, like a week or two later, I get a call like, great news, like they're sending you to test. And I was like, okay, does that mean I have to come? And they were like, no, just the thing you recorded in your living room with your husband like two weeks ago, like we're just going to send that perfect and i was like oh okay well i mean i hope that was good enough because sometimes you get better every time you do it sometimes you get yeah. worse so in this case it was great and it worked out and they liked me and they offered me the part you know but then when you get on set it's it feels the same but it's also terrifying <laughs> to me well to it's like, like, like
0: we're aware of so much more stuff oh happening my God, right yeah and
1: and hair and makeup everybody's got on masks but, I mean, to get your makeup done, you have to take your mask off, right? Yeah. And then when we were filming, it was a similar vibe. It was like, like when do we take these masks off and how do we? And then, you know, do they come in for touch-ups or do we just kind of wing it? Or like, I don't know. It's just, it, it felt similar but also scarier. But also, we were so happy to be back working. And they did a pretty good job of keeping us all safe and feeling safe and we were testing monday wednesday friday every week so we kind of caught it you know if if any if anything happened we caught it so yeah i hope it gets picked up to series it's really funny
0: i'm excited for it but just the possibility of it because a i love the period piece factor 70s all about it yeah and the and to your point like the cast is so good like i i really want to see that show
1: yeah me too i want to do a scene with jake johnson (laughs)
0: He's so funny. He's
1: so so he I did He called me to do an episode of the new girl Okay with him. It was his first time directing and it was about his cousin Bill Burr and His wife me coming to get sperm from him so that we could get pregnant amazing and I was going to have sex with him. Like that was, (laughs) that was, (laughs) but we were Boston. We were like super Bostonite. So to like learn a Boston accent for that. But it was his first time directing. And I had known him, I've known him for a long time from New York and stuff. And we had kids about the same time too. So we would like run into each other at parks. But he's so just kind and so funny. It's just like a pleasure to be around him. And so I was really excited about none of our scenes. We didn't have any scenes. All my scenes were with Ophelia, who's also, equally amazing um yeah but yeah i'm excited i'm excited it is interesting too
0: now that i think about like um but the differences in the audition process for you about it's like to have to figure out how to translate what their normal process is Mm -hmm. to a totally different thing Mm -hmm. they then have to they then have to break down what that process is and realize oh well this is more efficient or we could do it this way yeah and that that could be because this is you know it's like it's all this ongoing, continuous thing of casting people, and you don't have probably the time to think about do we really have to do it this way? So that's probably nice.
1: Like, do we all have to be in the same room at the same yeah. time? Like, no. And it's also so much better to not have that happen, you know? I yeah. mean, I get, I did this process like for my very first TV show, which was a multi camera. So that was you know, taped in front of a live studio audience, it makes sense to me why you would want to see an actress, like, audition multiple times live. You know what a I whole, mean? Yeah,
0: whole other energy and situation, yeah.
1: But, like, for a single cam like this, or, you know, a drama or an hour long, like, they're not shooting it in front of, like, you don't have to be, yeah. like, quick on your feet, you know, like, you just need to be able to, to nail it once. Really, you know?
0: It's like the same concept relative... Similarity in terms of the concept of what type of conditions will this be in, you know, versus people live laughing in it. I don't know. I guess there's a more performative element to that.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, totally.
0: Okay. Do you enjoy the live studio audience or the more, I guess, closed set version of that?
1: They like, both. You know, they both have their their beauty. Like as far as creating a TV show. Uh, like I loved as a live performer having a live show but it is there's like um there's like I guess a, a, like a, a really tough schedule that goes along with that. So like if you were the creator of the show, you're doing rewrites like all night because they're on a, a really short timeline right so yeah. so you do the table read on Monday and then you're blocking and rehearsing and then you get a rewrite that night and then you do it again in front of you, you put it up on its feet, you do it again at noon for the studio that night, a whole new rewrite. (laughs) And it's like, so there's like pressure to be able to nail things even in a rehearsal, because if you don't nail your joke, it might get cut. And then Thursday's like a pre-tape day. And then Friday is the live tape. And then they're also rewriting stuff on the fly that if it doesn't go well, right? So as just an actor, it's like a dream scenario because you're basically done by two, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, you may or may not be shooting. Friday, you come in at like five o'clock and you're done by 10 and it's a live performance. Like, sign me up, right? (laughs) But if you're an EP or a writer or somebody, your life is like turned upside down as you're trying to get these drafts turned around and get these notes addressed and rewrite. I mean, as an EP on a single camera show, the deadline's always looming but we're not filming tomorrow, you know what no. I mean? So I, I mean, sometimes you are if you're like like bless this mess, we did eh, what like twenty twenty episodes or something. So we were up against it as far as like getting rewrites. We were table reading the week before we were about to shoot. so definitely there was some of that happening as well.
0: I never thought about that. there's the difference the relative difference of like one being more regimented because you have a more set schedule, and mm-hmm. we do this and that, and there's no doubt its own, uh, to your point, like good and bad things about that. Yeah. But then also, though, maybe without a close set, there's more, it's a relative looseness, and you can maybe collaborate more because there's just less rigidity to it
1: yeah and if there's something if there's a problem like there's not the pr- the pressure is like you can find it you know and you can kind of yeah. use all your resources you can also be like well we got something and then in the edit find it you know yeah. so i mean for our show we also we wrote everything first and then we shot it and then we edited it. It took like nine months to do eight to 10 episodes. So it's like a long, a long process for playing house. But that was because we were also in it and writing it. So it would, would have been really hard to do it at the, all at the same time, basically, the way that network shows run.
0: That makes sense. It's such a fun, at like such a funny show.
1: Oh, thanks.
0: I can't imagine though what it is to, and it makes sense though, because, and you've spoken to this before in interviews about just to to get the interplay and how you both naturally, you and Jessica, speak to each other, Mm -hmm. that the best way to do that for you was to improvise it in this instance Mm -hmm. in front of the writers as opposed to the previous experience of that as you perfected the process. Yeah. But yeah, that's got to be really... I don't know. I guess, is that tough or just natural? Because it's just like you're improvising with each other.
1: Is it tough to improvise? Or
0: That's fair. I don't know what my question was. The... (laughs) (laughs) That's very fair. I was wondering that myself. I don't know. Does it make it easier for you to do it that way as opposed to a more, quote-unquote, regimented writing process?
1: You know, we just never did it any other way. Like, I mean, when we were creating, I I don't know. I mean, there's something magical that happens when you're improvising where you kind of get out of your own way, at least for me. I don't know that that's necessarily true for everybody, but, like, sometimes if it's just Jess and I, you know, we may not like be show ready or whatever, but like we can try different things and, and follow different threads and like follow the funny and go on a tangent and be like, oh, I love the way you did that, but I didn't, We this didn't work, can we try this? Or like, we'll switch parts like, and she'll play the Keegan character and I'll play her. You know, when we did it in front of the writer, usually it was the person who was writing that episode and they would say like, I need you guys to improvise this scene Oh, okay. And a lot of times it was a scene between the two of us because they felt like weird pretending to write the dialogue that we would probably just rewrite anyway, you know? So yeah. if we were writing the episode, we would improvise every single scene, though, m- most of it. And we just record ourselves on GarageBand and then like talk about it and then rewrite it through improv. And we would do that four or five times, depending on if we kind of had a handle on the scene. And then... That would get transcribed by our assistants or like when we're writing our movie we send the files to like our old assistant and Mm -hmm. pay her on venmo and she tells us how many hours she spent transcribing and then she sends us back basically a pdf of our of our dialogue in script form and then we go through it it takes forever i would like (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily like say do this uh, if you're a writer but for me it like just sitting down and writing dialogue to have it sound really natural like when we go back through and like read it it's funny already like because we're (laughs) you know we're we're building off of what each other said and sometimes we don't always hear what the other person is saying so we're like reading and we're like oh my god (laughs) you did not say that that's so dumb yeah I love it or, you know, like the weird things that people do or say in conversation that you you just wouldn't think to write it, you know?
0: Yeah, and you can't replicate the that mutual energy of improvising off each other and just kind of going where it goes. Like less can be more in yeah. terms of thinking that as somebody who is a, a chronic overthinker. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's a liberation factor there.
1: I think too, there's also like, it helps you learn, you know, because when I do somebody else's show, Like, I feel like my superpower is improv, so it's really, like, you want to know how to improvise in a way that they can then use it. Because if you just, if you just, like, do a funny riff that's a paragraph, it's not connected to the story or move anything forward in any way, it's never going to get used because it's a 20-minute, like, episode, you know? Yeah. But if you, if you button it, like, at the end of the scene, like, you know, like, it takes a village or whatever it is that you want to say like it's yeah. it's something they could use they can overlap it over somebody else's back like so it helps to, it helps if you know how things work and then you can give you know improvs that will actually be helpful and sometimes i just improvise cuz i want to make the crew laugh like if <laughs> i can cuz that's like like what i live for <laughs> it's like to see those like shoulders like going up and down behind the steady cam like because that makes going to work every day like a pleasure.
0: Yeah, well and it makes complete sense though to get an idea of the the headspace or headspace or the prism through which, you know, that improv should be because in movies for example where you, where very clearly they've said like, you know, just have fun with this one and then somebody improvises it, sometimes it does feel like you can kind of tell when they're just improvising versus improvising through the prism of what this character is. Yeah. Like those things can really stand out and sometimes in a good way, but sometimes it can also be very distracting.
1: Right. Like I imagine in like 40-year-old Virgin, like Jane Lynch, I, <laughs> I imagine her just like all of a sudden singing this Spanish song and they were yeah. like, oh my God, this is gold. We're going to yeah. put this in. You know what I mean? That might have been a, a moment that she just tried to make them laugh, but it was connected to character. It was so bizarrely specific, you know. That yeah. then they want to that—that's also like it seems like they might have gotten out of her way and let her do her thing, you know.
0: Yeah, I would definitely get out of her way too when it comes to that. Like, yeah, you know what? I think she knows. I think oh she God. knows funny far better than I. So yeah, she's amazing. I would get out of her way. Do you
1: do improv in Arkansas?
0: I do not there is improv here, but I've not tried it, probably mainly out of just straight cowardice, honestly,
1: you should do it.
0: I can't imagine i you know I go maybe that's part of it. is like nothing is really scary compared with a an unfathomable pandemic, so maybe <laughs> maybe all I needed was a small kick in the ass versus a via a global pandemic
1: well yeah you definitely don't want to get in a hot sweaty room with 12 other (laughs) weirdos right now spinning hot breath that is not where you want to be (laughs) can i get a suggestion like let's go home
0: (laughs) yeah yes and i will not do that (laughs) agreeing
1: yeah maybe after it's all over
0: Yes. Yeah. That what what if that was my lesson it was like, "Yeah, I'm just not scared of anything anymore." You know, then it's just like, "I'm going to do in you know, a hot sweaty maskless room, just do <laughs> just do improv. Can I please get a suggestion?" Yeah, good <laughs> lord. Uh, well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. This was an absolute delight. Oh, I love okay. this. Okay, me too. Me too. So, is there anything that you want to point people toward before we wrap it up?
1: Oh, I don't know. I mean, nope. You can find me where you find me, you know, the Lennon Parham everywhere. And if I do anything exciting, I'll let you know on there.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you again. This was so fun.
1: Yeah, me too. Thanks, Brandon.
0: Thank you all for listening. Please wear a mask, lead with empathy, do nice things, stay safe. Goodbye.